What's up, all you movie lovers? Al, you got something to say to the movie haters? You guys don't like movies? What are you, insane? Welcome back to By the Heart. I'm Alex. And I'm Sean. We believe that every great story is full of gospel themes. Together, we examine our favorite movies while looking at the gospel themes of characters in some of the best quotes. Also, we look at the moments that made us laugh, think, and cry. And we'll let you know when you can find a wall to pee on with our big daddy moment so you don't miss the good parts. Thanks for listening. Yo. The gospel is the free gift of salvation given to us by Jesus dying on the cross for us. Nothing that we did in our own power, but God saving us through willingly submitting to his will. We're back here on By the Heart Podcast, and I'm here with my co-host, Al. Al, what's going on? How's it going out in the interwebs? Ooh, it's a big week for my guy, Al. He's getting married. Wait, what? <laughs> I'm getting married? Did you know that? I think I just found out right now. Wow, I thought you were willingly doing that. Uh, I am. Melissa Melissa Raber, a.k.a. Melissa Caseri. I am definitely willingly getting married to you. <laughs> so for this week's episode, we decided to bring you 27 dresses. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and uh, Catherine Heigl. Man, she, she's great in that movie. Oh, she's incredible. I'm pretty sure I saw 10 minutes of it and turned I, it off. I don't know if I've ever watched it. I'm not sure. Catherine Heigl was really good in that one movie with Gerard Butler, right? Yeah, that really inappropriate rom-com. <laughs> uh never mind <laughs> i remember watching that uh at liberty thinking i'm gonna get some reps if i uh, get caught watching this uh confession my first year at liberty uh we weren't allowed to bring any rated r movies and i was kind of unsure of that rule and we had this time where we could turn in our movies and we wouldn't get any uh fines and i had 27 rated r movies <laughs> and i had to put them in a black bag and give them to my dad yeah it's liberty is a funny place funny place there were some good things from it we learned recently, as Al and I were reminiscing about Liberty Times, that I had zero reps my entire time there. Al, how many reps did you have? I led my hall in reps back-to-back years. Yeah, yeah. We have very different personalities. Good times. Yeah. So anyways, today we're coming to you with a different movie, not 27 Dresses. We are coming to you with a rated R movie for sure. The movie's called Whiplash, as you can see on the pod there. It's a movie written and directed by Damien Chazelle in 2014. Chazelle was only 29 when he wrote and directed this, which is incredible. And there's some more, some more facts we're going to bring to you as we move on. But it's written and directed by Damien Chazelle in 2014. It's a movie about a promising young drummer that enrolls at a cutthroat music conservatory where his dreams of greatness are men- mentored by an instructor who will stop at nothing to realize a student's potential. And really... If you want to dumb it down after watching this, you're going to think this movie's actually about a student, Andrew, played by Miles Teller, that's dedicated nine, at least 90% of his waking existence to be one of the great drummers and a psychotic music instructor, Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons, that pushes this man to the earth's end to untap the ability that he has. It's crazy. How much of his uh, asleep... Um, time has he dedicated to drumming that's what i was wondering because 90 percent of his waking time has been to drumming i'd say about 40 percent of sleeping time he's been dreaming about it yeah um yeah this movie is is kind of insane well did we say this this has the most cuss words that we we will ever probably have wait i don't think curse words i think 
Goodwill Hunting definitely has more curse words, but I think the language is definitely worse in this movie. Yeah, and I think uh, when we get down to the characters, uh, we'll kind of flesh that out a little bit better with Fletcher. But um, he's got very um, colorful language, and it's masked in hate and Mm -hmm. pain, probably. And we know people just like him. Yeah, I think as we were rewatching this, we kind of talked about... Um, people that we've seen in the media since this movie has come out or, or really just in the last 10 years because I think this was a culture that was not unheard of. If you watch this movie and you played sports growing up or you were in an intense uh, club or group that took things very seriously and, and had potential to get scholarship or get paid to do something like this, you've probably run across a person with this kind of characteristic, this personality, this um, hating, fear-mongering person. Um, I know I have. 100%. We talked about it before this, and I'm, I'll willingly share my story. I don't know. I'm sure you have a story too, Al. Um, but we know people like this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, playing sports, that's one of the avenues, one of the cultures that we grew up in where it was okay to berate young men, young women, to hopefully produce a result. Yeah. And I think Bobby Knight, I mean, Bobby Knight's success kind of gave our parents... Um, not necessarily my dad or your dad, um, but the parents that were surrounding our um, teams. Uh, well, if Bobby Knight can get amazing results by being a jerk, then maybe I can too. Yeah, and we saw a lot of this come to light. Again, I said in the last 10 years, I think that's where we've seen a lot of it. Um, Bobby Knight's obviously the first one. I still think we see it in college football. We might not see it, like actually, we not, might not hear it, but you can still see coaches just I don't know what they're saying, but if they had a mic, I'm pretty sure they would get fired on the spot. Yeah, like when you make a mistake on a football field and you come off and on national TV, your coach is making you look like you are stupid. And I think acting, that, that's putting it lightly. Well, acting like you're a ch- like a child. I mean, one, that's not even appropriate behavior for your own kid. Mm-mm. It It's almost like you're a piece of meat. Right. And you are a means to that person's end. Right. And and especially in college sports, uh, a lot of times players are means to coaches' ends. Now, I, I would also say there are great coaches who don't act like that, but there definitely are coaches who do act like that. Right, right. And sometimes I've even heard of a coach kind of near us. Uh, a fan came out of the stands from the other team to try and fight this coach. Wow. That's because this coach apparently has such a reputation for being this kind of person. And as someone who I'm a varsity basketball official in where we're at. Um, and I love it. It's so much fun. But the stuff that coaches say to me, I don't really want to go back at them. I just want to ask them genuinely, where do you, where else do you talk to people like this? Because mm-hmm. I pray it's not your wife. I pray it's not your kids. I pray it's not your husband. It, it doesn't matter. Whoever it is, coaches on both sides, on the women, the women in the girls' high school game and the boys' high school game, say things that you would just not believe. Like, it's crazy to me, even fans are like this, towards you as an official. Like, oh, my God, yeah. Fan, it's like fans come to games, and for some reason, they've got it in your mind, in their mind, that you are out there to make their team lose. Like, somehow you've been paid under the table by the Wayne County Mafia yeah. to make their son miss layups. Yeah. And they take it out on you. And the things that they say to officials and the things that coaches say to kids – uh, what it does is it it gives lasting emotional scars. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think something like that's happened to you. 
Yeah, I uh, I played for a team up in the Cleveland area when I was a freshman in high school. And what sport? Baseball. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, Sean threw heat. Uh, I've been the same size since about eighth grade. When Sean was twelve, <laughs> he was uh, Randy Johnson right-handed. <laughs> you did not want to face him. Except for one guy threw a bat and hit a triple off of him. Oh, that's one of the funniest stories of all time. Next time. Um, next time. So anyways, my dad and I get in the car, drive an hour to this game, and this coach, for whatever reason, I, this was his style. If this is your style, that's fine. It's not mine by any means, and not for this reason. Um, but he had us wear our button-up white jerseys. Sorry, not wear them. He had us hang them on a hanger so we wouldn't like warm up with them and get them dirty and look different and... I don't know, like super business professional. I don't really know exactly what the reason was. I had just gotten out of Wayne County for like the first time with baseball and I was experiencing something completely new. So I get out of the car, I go up to the field, my dad drops me off, he runs to the gas station, go get something to drink. And I realize I forgot my jersey hanging up in his in, in the back seat. My coach freaks out on me, just absolutely berates me. And I I can I still remember the feeling of that. I'll never forget that. And then as he's walking away, my dad is walking up and gives me the jersey. And I say, well, my jersey's here now. We can put them on. And my coach turns around and points a finger at me and screams at me, what did you say to me? And I said, my jersey's here. That's it. And Except I was 15 and I was extremely timid and I was really, really introverted and I was terrified. And I never wanted to play for that guy again. I really... Um, I really have a lot to say on that matter, but um, there's a lot more we could go, but we'll continue in the movie. It's just that culture is hurtful. It is. It, there's a lot of scars from it, and that's not even that bad. It's really not that bad of a story compared to some of the other things we've heard. And oh, seen. we have a kid in that I played basketball with who quit the basketball team because mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. I have a baseball story actually that involves Sean where Sean couldn't throw a strike to save his life all year. So I was about to go into the varsity game to pitch. I make it to the mound because the coaching, the pitching coach told me to go. And I picked up the ball, and I got yelled at by the coaches for whatever reason I wasn't supposed to be out there, even though a coach told me to go. And then I got yelled at like I was stupid because I went out there, even though I was told to go out there. And that killed my confidence and ultimately was one of the reasons I didn't ever want to play baseball again. Um being this way, like trying to get greatness out of your kids and out of your students by being a complete jerk, I, I think the success rate might be 1%. Yeah, I don't know. Um, you will get some out of it, but I think there's alternative routes that are a lot better. Unfortunately, it's the way our culture is. Um, and we can talk about that. We can make that an entirely separate podcast, as we almost have. Yeah. So we're going to dive into this movie. Um, I think we had, before we dive into it, we talk about some of the other things in the movie, we were going to talk about... The best musicals of all time. The best musicals of all time. All right. Do you have your list? I have my list. Do Tell you have your list? Who who should go first? Let's go. Let's alternate. Okay. My first one, La La Land. Whoa, La La Land? Also Damien Chazelle. Ooh, good one. My what? first one, Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot dispute. Mad Max had a guitar player without eyeballs. In a red onesie on bungee cords with a guitar that had flames flying out of it. Yeah. I mean, if that guitar player couldn't play for Led Zeppelin, nobody could. Oof. All right. Mine's, my next one's Sound of Music. Whoa. I've actually never seen Sound of Music. Far, a long, long way to run. Other stuff. Yeah. I, I don't, not catching your drift here. Anyway, um, or I guess music and stuff. So I am catching your drift. 
Um, Spinal Tap. (laughs) Turn it to 11. (laughs) Why does it go to 11? (laughs) Why don't you just put it to 10? That guy didn't have an English accent. I don't know why I gave him one. (laughs) Uh, Do you have another one? Is that it? That's it. Oh, okay. I also have uh, the horse from War Horse. (laughs) He neighed really well. Is that how horses neigh? <laughs> Maybe a little more depth than that. Yeah, that was... Might that be was a pony. I was a little high. All right, well... Getting in the movie. Some interesting facts about this movie. J.K. Simmons won the Academy Award, the Golden Globe, for Best Supporting Actor and received... If you watch the Academy Award, uh, you can find on YouTube, as he walks up and gets his award before he says anything, the entire crowd gives him a standing ovation because he's incredible in this movie. On top of that, he won 47 awards for this role. Do you think he won the Nickelodeon Teen Choice Award? I'm going to guess not. Oh, okay. Not sure if that was his role. As well, the, all of the music for this movie is original. It was created for this movie. Chazelle is... I, I think Chazelle is going to be the next Scorsese. He's the next um, Francis Ford Coppola. He's the next Christopher Nolan. He, he is in a top-tier class. And for making this movie before he's 30... I'd be surprised if we don't get another 20 to 30 years out of him for great, great film. I hope he keeps doing music movies, too, because this he, he got this as a short, and he made Whiplash a short, won an award at a movie or uh, at a show, an award show for short films, and then gave, was given a $3 million budget for this. But he wanted to do La La Land, so he did this movie. I'm pretty sure this is kind of like internet research. It might not be that good, but I'm pretty sure this is true. He did this, and then they said, okay, do whatever you want with La La Land. That was incredible. Whiplash was incredible. And then he produced La La Land. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's very good. Hmm. But we're going to dive into now our first category, the gospel theme moments. So we've got Andrew Neiman, who is played by Miles Teller. He's this young drummer who wants to be one of the great drummers of all time. And from my perspective, what I thought, as a drummer and in his gospel theme moments, his drive makes people feel ostracized and and it reminds me just of christians and the church myself included i've done this um that are so passionate about something that you make other people feel ostracized and you make them feel shunned you make them feel terrible and you don't welcome them yeah i think there's a fine line between having passion and making people feel bad because they don't have the same passion and having passion and living in love um we've been in church groups where passion someone's passion led to other people being uh filled with guilt and shame yeah jesus doesn't bring guilt and shame anyone who calls upon the name of the lord will not be put to shame romans 8 says there is therefore no condemnation now in christ jesus but sometimes as christians we feel like oh we're so zealous and you're not so uh i'm gonna condemn you for that yeah how do you not understand this yeah i've been there i've 100 percent been there and people have told me that Thankfully, through um, exhortation and from the Holy Spirit giving me awareness, I've been able to see this and, and change it and alter it and see the gospel for something far more different than it is. Yeah, the gospel is so deep and rich and uh, beautiful that I am infinitely grateful that the things and the things and, and the things that you say uh, from the time you're 22 to even 28. Don't define the rest of your life. Because at 25, if you're a believer at 25, you should be more mature than you were at 22. And at 28, you should be more mature than you were at 25. And God willing, 
at 31, I'm going to be more mature than I am now. Yeah. Um, we see, though, that Neiman is so passionate about being a great drummer that he's not willing to mature emotionally. He's not willing to mature relationally. He actually has a girlfriend that he breaks mm-hmm. up with. He, he breaks up with her because he cannot risk that relationship ruining his career. Yeah, and that's actually going to be in my quotes. But yeah. um, I, I had the question on – my question for Neiman was, is it not okay to be ordinary? Mm. And as Christians, I've had these conversations in the last year. I want to be great. I want to have a great life. I want to have a life that's on purpose or it's it's amazing. Now, I have contrarian type personality, so I, I would often ask the question back, probably to much chagrin, well, what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to have purpose? Is ordinary enough? And as Christians, I think we have to ask, what is the balance of pursuing greatness but being okay with the ordinary Christian life. Yeah. I think sometimes we become subject to our culture too. And sometimes we hope for the things that our culture provides for us or the things that I guess um, are just natural to where we're at rather than just hoping on what God's plan is for us because it might not be that. And those aren't bad desires, but sometimes, oftentimes I would say, they're not actually rooted in God's plan for us. And I don't mean this in like some massive way, what's God's will, but I do mean in a way where God's will is a little bit individualistic and unique. Yeah, I agree with you there. And um, part of the ordinary Christian life, part of the Christian life, part of the richness of the gospel is if you get it right, that Jesus alone is satisfying, then you are free to be on a, a, a real and purposeful pursuit of greatness in Christ. But if Christ isn't enough and you need to pursue something greater, you will chase that wind until you die. Amen. Should we move on to Fletcher? Fletcher, man. Woo! All right, so Fletcher, played by J.K. Simmons again. We said he won 47 awards for this role. He was incredible. We've got a lot to unpack with Fletcher. We're going to try and do it quickly. It's going to be tough, um, but we do have a lot here. I imagine with his gospel theme moments that this is what the tax collectors or religious leaders were kind of like, they manipulated to make themselves look good, regardless of the truth. Um, Fletcher manipulates a story about a former student that died. And in fact, the student killed himself and the parents play a huge role because they think that Fletcher is the reason that this man was driven to such perfection and was never satisfied and ultimately took his own life. Yeah, and good. he drives his students to great levels, and then he takes credit for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's somebody taking talent and then saying, look how good I am for how good these people are. Like, yeah, there's a relationship there. There's a reason both of you are good. Um, but he's taking more of the light, and he has so, – uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He has uh, insecurities that he's masking through this. Yeah, his actions are pretty positively masked in the fact that he isn't satisfied with his life. He's not satisfied with what he has or what he's become as a music uh, director. As um, what are they? What are they called? Are they called directors? Um, no. What's the Seinfeld? Uh, oh, it's not a maestro. Is, eh, he's not a maestro, is he? Nah, let's call him a director. Yeah. So uh, he's not satisfied with where he is with that. Um, 
personally, I think that he is insane. Yeah, he is absolutely insane. And I could, I was trying to kind of ask the question, like, is he insane or is he just playing a part to get greatness? Like, there's probably a part of him who's, like, playing it up so that he can... I mean, he keeps saying that he wants to... Uh, he wants to make Neiman the next Charlie Parker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said the, the way that Charlie Parker became the bird is because someone threw a symbol at his head. Who's Charlie Parker? Charlie Parker is like the greatest drummer ever. Oh, oh, Peter Parker, Spider-Man. Exactly. Oh. Different Parkers. Wait, so what? who's Charlie Parker from? Charlie he, Parker's just a drummer. Like He didn't play in a band? Uh, he might have. I don't know. I know that he's a jazz drummer. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So this isn't the guy from The Who or, or Rush? No, he's old. Oh. He might be dead. Oh. Did we just kill Charlie Parker? We should probably look it up. Charlie okay. Parker, if you're alive, our bad. <laughs> okay, so here's one of the other things. Actually, I'll let you get into it. Did you have anything for Fletcher? Well, I, I asked, what can you sacrifice to help someone reach greatness? And is it worth it? Okay. I, I have a little bit of that later. Not at this point, but somewhere down the line, I have that as well. Like, Fletcher was sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed relationships and friendships just to help someone be great and... To me, it's not worth it because his student ended up killing himself. Right. And Neiman lives in fear. Neiman has emotional scars for the rest of his life. There's, I mean, he can be freed in Christ, but outside of that, he is dealing with some trauma, really. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just don't think it's ever worth it to sacrifice love um, to get a result. I agree. I agree. One of the other things in this movie that Fletcher does is he uses a lot of um, uses a lot of gay slurs, and one of one of the other people that Neiman's competing with, one of the drummers, apparently is gay. Um, we don't really actually know any of that. It's just Fletcher calls him gay slurs, and I I think it's just a point. If you watch this movie, don't watch this with your kids for sure, unless they are very mature. Like no, nah, don't watch it with your kids. I just unless they are like almost adults. Do not watch this with them. Um, this is a hard movie. But I think one of the parts of that, one of the things we did want to bring to light is the fact that it's it's not okay. And I think that's what maybe Chazelle was trying to show is that this was a culture that does exist. And we talked about that a little bit. Yeah, we weren't sure if we were actually going to do this on the pod because, well, one, I'm a pastor. And mm-hmm. uh, even greater than that, like we call Jesus our Savior and Lord. And this is a hard watch based on the language but we both agreed, like, we're not going to not talk about it because it's got bad language. We want to bring to light the fact that it's not okay to be like right. that. And I think this is somewhere where the church can, the church should be a service to people who, if, whatever you are, um, it doesn't matter, LGBTQ, it doesn't matter. You, the church has to be a safe space to have those conversations. And we've seen people, I think the, the people I think of the most are the Gospel Coalition. They have a few members within the Gospel Coalition that have that lived a life previously as gay, and they've seen the Gospel for what it is, and they saw that the church actually doing what the Gospel says is not out to hate anybody or hurt people, but there are people who represent the church. There are Christians who have it wrong and do things and say things and post signs and um, picket stupid things. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's, it's awful. One of the things that I, I used to say to my students when I was a youth pastor was that you can't let your pastor or your parents or your dumb friends determine your relationship with the Savior. Because uh, 
if you're looking for not for for Christians to be not hypocritical and then you'll believe, well, I've got news for you. It's not going to happen because that's what it means to be human. And um, yeah, I think that there's a lot of work to be done. We have work to to do to be a safe space for yeah. people to come to. I think one of the guys that you and I both mutually appreciate, uh, Donald Miller wrote Blue Like Jazz. Awesome book. My uh, favorite book. Al forced me to read it one time, and I finally read it and said, dang, man, I should have read this years ago when you told me to. <laughs> um, but they did something really cool when they were out in Portland, and they you, I, you, you would remember it better than I would. Yeah, so at the end of uh, Reed College's year, every year, they would have this big party, and pretty much it was just debauchery. And every year they had like someone who played the Pope, quote unquote, and it was supposed to be in jest towards Christianity. And so uh, Donald Miller and his buddy, they, they ended up building a confessional and people would come in and they were supposed to confess. It was just, they're making fun of, of Christianity. But when they came in... Reed, the, Reed was. Reed yeah, was. Reed was. Yeah, yeah. Not Donald Miller. Yeah. So when they would come in... Donald Miller and his buddy actually apologized to these people for all of the ways that the church had failed them and not represented Christ correctly. Yeah. And I think that's a great step, like to recognize where we haven't done our part. Yeah. And um, trust in the fact that Jesus's mercies are new for each day and that we get a new chance. Yeah. And so do you. Yeah. I think the cool part, and we can, we can move on after this, I think you and I both agree on behalf of at least us as Christians in the church. Um, we've messed up too, and we're sorry for it. And, yeah. and we're trying, we're, we're working through the gospel to know it more every day and to get to a point where we can just lovingly welcome people as best as possible. Said well. Okay, our next category, the big daddy moment. The moment where you had to pee, so you peed on a wall in the middle of the movie. Thanks, Adam Sandler. Uh, pretty sure that you cannot pee in this movie. It's a short movie. Stay in it. It's great. This was probably my eighth or ninth time I've watched it. I still had to watch the whole thing. It's so good. Okay. Al, would this movie be better with Boston accents? My boy's wicked smart. My boy's wicked smart. You're not on my time. No. It's You're not okay. on my tempo. The answer is no. You got to get on my tempo. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> turned into an Italian Boston guy. <laughs> no. You got to get on my tempo. I think JK's delivery is the best part of this movie. I mean, there's a reason he won the awards and Miles Teller didn't. Um, and his, his delivery would not transition well into a Boston accent. But would it be better as a Boston mob movie? J.K. Simmons is a front for the mob. Oh, that would make a lot of sense. And Schaefer music uh, makes them millions somehow. <laughs> they smuggle the drugs in the drum kit. All right, we're already over time. Keep growing. <laughs> okay, this is our By the Heart recommendation. This is the movie that uh, we recommend that you stop everything you're doing, quit your job, stop doing the yard work, sit down, put it on the TV, because you're going to really be blessed by it. Yeah, don't leave your spouse and kids if you have them. But quit do, everything else. Do everything else. Okay. Fantastic Mr. Fox. Ooh, Fantastic Mr. Fox, directed by Wes Anderson. Incredible movie. Basically, it's a claymation. No, it, it is a claymation. Okay, it's a claymation. <laughs> and this fox, he's fantastic. Played by who? Played by George Clooney. Oh. Meryl Streep's in the movie. I actually can't tell you more than the fact that George Clooney plays a fox and Bill Murray is in it, and you have to watch it. What does Bill Murray play? Bill Murray plays, uh, I think, the Badger. 
He's yes. the lawyer. Yep. He's really funny in it too. Definitely funny. And instead of cussing, they say cuss. Yeah. Are you cussing me? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Would you get the cuss out of here? Yeah. It's really funny. Watch it. All right. This is the time for our gospel theme quotes. The moments in the movie that reminded us of the gospel themes within the movie. All right. Al? I only have one. It's Neiman talking to his girlfriend, Nicole. He says, I want to be one of the greats. And this is when they're breaking up. He breaks up with her. He says, I want to be one of the greats. And she said, and I'd stop you from doing that. And he said, yeah. And I, I just think, man, his priorities are so out of whack. Uh, the priorities for your life, biblically, I think, um, unless you're one of the people that's called to singleness, your, your priorities ought to be time with Jesus and time getting to know and loving your spouse, creating a family, and out of that, flourishing as a lover of people. Um, but Neiman wants to be an amazing drummer and wants nothing to do with anything else. John? Yep. My quote was from Fletcher. He says, I was there to push people beyond what's expected of them. I believe that's an absolute necessity. And at first glance, at the superficial superficial level, it's a good quote because good coaches do that. They do a good job of that. They push you. But I looked at it and thought, man, Jesus, in a way, will take us beyond what we're expecting in his power. Like when you have true faith in him, and it's not to make you the best basketball player ever or to make you the best drummer ever. Um but he will take you and give you self-control when you weren't expecting it. He'll give you boldness to share the gospel when you weren't expecting it. He'll give you the ability to love people way better than you ever could have. He'll give you the ability to be patient when you never thought you could. And the list goes on and on. Um, that's what I thought of when I saw that is in Christ's power, we have abilities that we didn't think we could ever have. That's really good. That's all I had for gospel theme quotes. you have any more? You said one, right? No, that's just the only one I had. And then as I'm thinking back, as I talked about it, uh, I didn't want to say for those of you who aren't married that you can't flourish. That's not what I mean. <laughs> yeah. What I mean is your priorities are should be uh, about Jesus and about people. And your the things that you do, your own, even your own aspirations in Christ, those ought to be formed by him and not by your own dreams. And that's a really hard thing to think about and talk about and get through because we all want autonomy. Mm -hmm. We all want to do what we love. Mm -hmm. And uh, a life of selfishness is not a life to be desired. And that's all I really got. Yeah, I think it's a really good way to wrap that up. All right, our Jimmy V moments. These are the moments that make you laugh, the moments that make you think, and the moments that make you cry. Every day, if you're not on my tempo, you better be on my tempo. Or listen up, I'm going to throw a symbol at your head. I could not do a very good J.K. Simmons there. He's got a very distinct voice. Every day. Every day. Every day. You got to root for the Green Bay Packers. Got to throw a symbol at his face. Curse word. Cuss. J.K. Simmons and the Accountant, though? Great movie. Very good. Yeah. All right, Al. What's the moment that made you laugh? Probably that right there. Yeah. yeah. The dinner scene, though. Yeah, same. I had the same like one. like the only funny part. I mean, there's a few funny parts, but this is the 
point, the moment that it was written for comedy. Yeah. There's some dark comedy. Sorry. Judge me, don't judge me. <laughs> There's definitely a lot of dark comedy in this movie, but this is the part in the movie that's like, ha ha. This was created to be funny. Yeah, they're sitting at the dinner table and these cousins of theirs come in and they, uh, the family's asking about his drumming. How's your drumming going? And he starts telling them about it and they're not interested at all because the other cousins come in. They start talking about how cool and good they are at football. And then Andrew just says, it's Division Three, <laughs> and it's really it's really funny. Division Three hoops though at the College of Worcester don't hate on the Scots. Yeah, they've had some guys like go play overseas. Just don't hate on them. Yeah, they're great. They can get buckets. All right, what's your think? My think, I think from this movie, I when I rewatch it, there's a little level of appreciation for people who are just driven. Hmm. Now, he's clearly made this an idol. It's an idol in his life. There's no doubting that. Um, but th- these people that push limits, um, they love to learn and grow and see what comes out on the other side. And usually, um, I would say done well with wisdom, honor, gospel centered can be pretty incredible. And I, I always just look at that and think, man, what if I was just a little more driven, a little bit more like that for the right reasons? That's really good. I have a think, but we're just going to move on. Um, Cry. My cry is that at the dinner table, his dad doesn't stand up for him. His dad's not really proud of him. He doesn't understand him. And I think that probably drives one of the, is one of the driving motivations for Neiman to be an incredible drummer is that he's not supported by his, his family. Yeah. Yeah. It's emotional, man. Like if you don't have the support of your family, it's really hard to. It is. They just make you feel crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, my cry was that every scene, every scene he's doing something insane just to continue the dream. Yeah. He got, he flipped his car, got out, got his drums, drumsticks and sprinted over to a, to a competition, competition, gets on the drums, bleeding. He looks like an idiot. And it's like, man, people will sell their souls for fame and success, man. Yeah. It's sad. It's definitely sad. Christians sell their, I mean, Christian leaders sell their souls for fame and success. Yeah. I, I don't feel comfortable calling anybody specifically out, but we talk plenty, and I'm sure some of you have seen the pastors who are, it seems pretty obvious what they're doing. Like anyone who peddles the gospel for money, uh, I will fight against that till I die. Yeah. And people do that because celebrity is great. Like, no. No, yeah. that is not what Jesus was about. Yeah. All right, our last category. This is the by the heart. These are the moments that captured us, captivated us, brought us back for the eighth time. Okay, for me, literally just the first scene. From the first scene on, I'm, I'm hooked. Yeah. Every time I watch it, first scene on. I think what's great about what Chazelle does is that Fletcher's manipulative. Yeah. Uh, you're also manipulated as the audience. For sure. Because you think something's going to happen, then all of a sudden, he's gone. Yeah. And then he comes back and says, whoops forgot my jacket <laughs> just great incredible I mean, the whole movie is captivating if you've got the capacity to sit through some of the the vulgar colorful language um it's definitely worth a watch it's gonna make you think a lot yeah it's definitely gonna make you do that um the music the music is incredible the music is my notes say the music is really 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 good and uh while i'm watching this while you're watching this we are both doing it tapping our feet bobbing our heads, whistling the songs. The song Whiplash is great. It's got a yeah. really catchy tune. 
I'm not going to whistle it because I'm sure I'm off tune. And I'm definitely not on his tempo. Oh, you're not. And I can't get a cymbal thrown in my head. That's pretty good. Wow, that was, a, that was pretty clever. Did you play drums? Uh, I was in percussion. Oh, you're supposed to say no. Oh. But that's pretty good. Um, anyway, this is By the Heart Podcast. Yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. Remember that the gospel is that Jesus saves us through faith in him. And that alone. Nothing we can do. Just have faith in Christ and see where he'll take you. Um, thanks for hanging in here. We'll get out to you later. With Terminator Salvation. Terminator Salvation.